The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit CofflerArts.org. I'm Charlotte Salem. I'm with the Canadian Jewish News, just to take a picture. Nice to meet you, Minister. Hi. Are we going to have an interview afterwards? Are we going to have time for an interview? Canadian Jewish News. And that's what it sounded like last Wednesday when I covered the visit to Canada by Israel's new minister in charge of Aliyah and absorption, Ophir Sofer. He's the first member of the new Netanyahu government to come here since the government took office and since the start of four months of massive pro-democracy street protests in Israel against the new right-wing administration. Sofer is a member of the religious Zionist party led by Bezalel Smotrich. And his trip to Canada comes as relations between Israel and large sections of the North American Jewish diaspora are fraught with tension. There are concerns over things like the reforms to the Supreme Court that would give Israeli politicians more control over who gets appointed as judges, and also possible changes to Israel's historic law of return. Until now, it grants automatic citizenship to anybody with at least a Jewish grandparent, even if they are not Jewish themselves. Sofer's Canadian visit was kept very low-key. He flew in for a grand total of nine hours after two days of meetings in New York, where he began at the headquarters of Chabad Lubavitch in Queens. In fact, Sofer spent most of his trip meeting with delegations from the Orthodox Jewish world, although he also met with the head of the New York Jewish Federation, and it was a similar story here in Toronto. And coming up, you'll hear reaction to his visit from some of the community leaders he met with from both sides. Plus, we'll bring you a bit of what Sofer told me. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, April the 24th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. As I told you last time, we are focusing this week on covering the major milestones of Israel's 75th birthday. And today we're starting with an Israeli story with potential ramifications here in Canada and across the Jewish diaspora. Ophir Sofer, the new Aliyah minister, is 47. He has seven kids. He was severely wounded in battle in 1996 in the tunnels under the Western Wall in Jerusalem. He lives in the Galilee, and he's quiet, nothing like the extremist firebrand party leader Bezalel Smotrich, who recently called for wiping out the Palestinian town of Hawara before having to apologize. Sofer had never traveled outside of Israel before this year, but he's starting to after Netanyahu appointed him as immigration and absorption minister. And one of his key priorities is boosting immigration from Canada, the United States and France. Sofer has previously told reporters that Western Jewish immigrants have been overlooked, while Israel copes with the massive influx of refugees from Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus this past year, who some say pose challenges to Israel's Jewish identity, because so many of them have little interest in living a Jewish life. 
The minister held a lunchtime meeting at the Toronto Jewish Federation headquarters with diverse members of the community, including Rabbi Stephen Wernick. He's with the city's large conservative synagogue, Beth Tzedek, and he was one of just three people who got to ask a question. Now, we weren't allowed in, but afterwards, Wernick told us he shared his concerns about the direction Israel's new government might take when it comes to who can immigrate to Israel automatically. All right, so how, how was it? Um, it was, um, first of all, it was very, very respectful. And I think um, substantive in the fact that uh, we really worked hard to say what needed to be said and to hear what the minister had to say. I I would say, overall, it feels like we're living in two separate worlds. Um, The way in which we understand how things are unfolding and what their impacts are, are very much, they're difficult to to reconcile. It's like, you know, how, how you can see the same set of facts and occurrences and read it in a different way. Um, and so that was, uh, in, in some ways, very disappointing, it, just in general, right? I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I expected anything differently than that. Uh, but, um, you know, he very much stood on the side that the government has 64 mandates, the judicial reforms were not out of the blue, uh, and that the government is, serves all of the Israelis and all the Jews around the world, and yet... You know, there wasn't enough time because it was a very short meeting, but, and yet, you know, the follow-up question would be, and yet, you're doing all this, and why is all this happening now? With all the opposition that they're, reaching, that they're achieving to say that they're serving all the Jews and that they have a mandate, but yet they're doing these substantive things without significant discourse, it all seems like it's dachuf, like it's being forced to uh, uh, push through. Um, is he aware of the Canadian diaspora comments? I mean, did anyone say anything very, you say, clear that we are not all of you... United? The people that spoke, including myself, were very much about um, continuing to challenge not only the policies, but the process by which his current government is operating. Um, so that was very clear. He does not, this was his first trip to North America, so he does not have a lot of experience with diaspora Jewry. And even, even today, you know, or what's going on, it's like he had this meeting, but he's, it's, he's not. The other institutions he's going to are all orthodox. And orthodoxy represents only 15% of Toronto Jewry. 15 or one five? five one five. five. Bethsedek is the largest synagogue in Canada. We have 6,000 members. Conservative movement is 30% of the affiliated um, movement within, of Jews within Canada. It's the largest denomination in Canada. And he's not doing anything with the conservative movement. From what I am aware of his itinerary while he's here, which is very, very minimal, but also from what he said of what he did in the U.S. and what he's doing here in Canada, um, his experience is very, very narrow to orthodoxy. This is the only diverse group of Jewish leaders that, he's, that he seems to be meeting with. Why is he even in Canada? Did he say why he was here? I asked about the law of return, and we talked about the law of return and conversion. And though he hasn't made up his mind about the law of return and the grandfather's clause, he did express what, the concern, what his concern is and others are within Israel, which I understand that concern, and that is you have an influx of hundreds of thousands of non-halakhically Jewish people coming into Israel, um, and they're going to public schools, and they're meeting Israelis, and they're getting married, and they're worried about mixed marriage. I understand that concern. I said to him, he says, like, that concern has been addressed 
five times over the last 30 years. And every time, the chief rabbinate didn't do what it was supposed to do, which was to convert, to, to create a Beit Din so that there was a conversion process for those people. You know, that's part of the problem, that the grandfather's clause and conversion are kind of tied together in this case. Does he not want anyone except Orthodox Ali, uh, people from Canada to make Aliyah? Well, so the, he the, what he was talking about specifically is, is that he wants to turn the attention of Aliyah from Russia to the West, because the Russian Aliyah is mostly not Jewish. But, the, but you still have the same problem here. If you change the grandfather clause, you impact reform Aliyah, because the reform movement operates in patrilineal descent. Um, and if you also, at the same time, which the government has stated as part of its coalition agreement, if you delegitimize any conversion, even outside of Israel, that's not orthodox, you delegitimize conservative conversion and conservative Aliyah. Um, and then you also have the problem of, well, so what happens to birthright? Birthright accepts um, patrilineal descent um, around the world. Massa accepts that. These are, these are programs funded by the government and the Jewish agency and the WZO. And so if you're going to change all that, then you're going to see a drop in birthright because why should people come to Israel if it's no longer their birthright? That will decimate birthright. It will decimate Massa. It will certainly um, slow down Aliyah um, from every place because the Aliyah from the West is not an Aliyah of rescue. It's an Aliyah of choice. And so the Aliyah of choice is always going to be significantly less than the Aliyah of rescue. I'm really proud that there are 65,000 Russian and Ukrainian Jews that have come to Israel last year, and there's approximately 50,000 that are coming this year. Um, and 80 years ago, they had no place to go. Um, and if they had a Jewish grandparent, they went to the gas chambers. That's what we marked yesterday, right? And so if you change the, the, the law of return, you basically invalidate all the work that we've been doing and even the commemoration of the Holocaust that we did. And I said that, that I know that my community in particular, and I think Canadian Jewry, Jewry in, in general, would I don't even have the words to describe how devastating that would be. Reform Rabbi Samuel Kay of the Holy Blossom Temple had also hoped to ask a question at the meeting, but he didn't get the chance. So instead, he buttonholed the minister on their way out of the building before Kay headed off to teach a class to people who want to convert to Judaism. I told him, I want you to hear that we're not only just angry, that we're also very scared. And that we're scared that um, you talk about anti-Semitism, that these changes that you're making to Aliyah, these changes that you're making to who is a Jew and who is not, if there's anti-Semitism in the world, we'll turn to you in Israel and you won't be there for us. And that that's a fear that we have. And I hope you hear us. So this is interesting because why does he want Aliyah from North America so badly that he came to Canada instead of the immigrants from Russia or from... I mean, what did he talk about in terms of why they're changing their focus? I honestly have you don't no remember? idea. You didn't say anything? No, it's not that he didn't say anything. It was a, it was a question and answer session about hearing the concerns of the community. He didn't, I'm here, this is why I'm here, I'm here to listen, I'm here to like make community, we're all one family. He didn't come to, to tell us his, his agenda. For her part, Gail Adelson had flown in specially from Montreal to attend the hour-long meeting. She's chair of the board of CIJA, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, and she left disappointed. Although her team has already made their concerns clear earlier this year in Israel when they met directly with other members of Sofer's government. And did you have something prepared specifically that you wanted to speak to him at the meeting and like ask a question? 
his remarks ran longer, and only three questions were taken, and I never had the opportunity to even ask to raise a question, quite frankly. What topics were, were raised? Um, people asked him about the right of return, about, about conversion, a little bit about judicial reform at the end, I would say. And on judicial reform, his answer was, for me, surprising. He, he um, basically said to us that his government had 64 seats in the Knesset um, and that they won those seats democratically and therefore they were entitled to do whatever they wanted to. And again, there's a, there is a language issue going on here because I'm translating from Hebrew into English what I understood him to say, which I found surprising. What was upsetting or disappointing about it? I don't think that it's sufficient. I, I don't think that a technical democratic victory is sufficient to govern. I think that you have to take into account the, the voices you're hearing from your people and that compromise is necessary in order to govern effectively, not in light of what is transpiring both in Israel and around the world in terms of concerns that are being shared. So he didn't uh, say what his position is on the law of return and conversion? He actually did not say anything about it. He said, I'm still listening. I'm still waiting to formulate my opinion. Um, and I'm on a learning exercise. And that's why I'm here to hear from you about what you think. Okay. So that's was there anybody that wasn't invited or wasn't present that should have been, do you think? Like in terms of like diverse voices? Uh, I don't know if I was a diverse voice. I think it was mostly, from what I saw in the room, it was mostly representatives of Jewish clergy from around Toronto, from the major synagogues, from all, from right across the spectrum. And that's really the, I would say, 80% of the room. Was there, were you the only woman? There were I mean, maybe three other women, but no, there, it was a room full of men. It was a room full of men. So did Sija, did you give him a written brief or did you later on or are you doing any follow up with this? We will definitely be doing follow up. And I think that's the takeaway for us is it highlights where we need to do more work in our representations with the Israeli government and what we need to share on behalf of Canadian people, on behalf of the, you know, our, the, the, the Jewish community that we represent. So that was from that point of view, it was it was important to be there. As you heard Rabbi Wernick say a little bit earlier, it felt a little like there were two separate worlds at these meetings, and that became clear when I spoke to the minister's tour organizer, Rabbi Elan Mazer of Mizrahi Canada, which represents religious Zionists. I think it's just always an honor to host a minister from the state of Israel. We are strong supporters of the state of Israel. We have a very close relationship with the state, and I think the fact that the state of Israel is now reaching out to diaspora communities to see how they can better work with us, better understand us, and and uh, better support our communities is not only an incredibly moving thing, and it's very meaningful, and I think it's very genuine from, this, from the, especially the Minister of Aliyah and from the government in general, but I also think that it's a, uh, a transformative and revolutionary place that we are in in history, where for so many generations it was the, the diaspora communities looking out and trying to see how they can support the state of, um, the, the state of Israel. Now the state of Israel is, is putting in time, effort, and, and funding into diaspora communities, and that's really a very special time in history to see how strong Israel is and how much they care about the diaspora communities as a whole. Did he say why he wants Canadian people to make Aliyah? Like, why stop here at all? The goal of, of, of his visit is to understand, is understand the diaspora communities, understand their needs, as well as see how they can better support people who do make Aliyah. 
Did he say why, though? I mean, I know in press he's talked earlier, not today, about French and North American Jews and doctors, that Israel wants them and not so much Russian and, and Ukrainian. Was that brought up at all? I don't think that his goal is, 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 is instead of, but rather it's that in the past the focus was more imbalanced towards specific communities and less towards North American and French communities. And he just wants to have a more balanced, uh, a more balanced focus on all the communities equally. Um, and he thinks there's a lot of potential that the Canadian, the North American, Canadian American and, uh, and French communities have to bring to Israel to, to both as a connection here in the communities, but also when they come to Israel, I think there's a lot that they have to offer the, the state of Israel. And uh, that only benefits... Um, that benefits everyone. Does he want reform and conservative or only orthodox aliot? Or was that even brought up from here? <laughs> he said all Jews. And here's what David Koshitsky took away from the meetings. He sits on the board of Karen Hayasod. He stressed over and over again the importance of listening and that uh, we need to recognize that while um, there may be heated discussions in Israel, when you put it all aside, they all want to go in the same direction and that uh, there will be a, a more unified approach coming. What does that mean? You don't know. I, I, I left early, so I can't say any more. About 10 protesters managed to make their way onto the Jewish community's Sherman campus while the minister was there. They were the local chapter of the Israeli pro-democracy group called Unacceptable, and they were yelling, shame, shame, in Hebrew. They felt UJA shouldn't have hosted him, He might have seen them through the window, but he didn't stop to chat, and his people ushered him out of the building through a different exit to avoid a confrontation. So, hi. Hi. Nice to meet you again. Nice to meet you. Now, I did eventually get to chat for two minutes with the minister at the start of a falafel and french fries reception that he was having with some Orthodox University students who are interested in moving to Israel. But he wouldn't sit down for an interview, and he told me why. And just so you know, I hate being tarred with this term, but he said it's because back home in Israel, he's had to contend with journalists who he described as fake news, and that he was trying to avoid having something printed that is incorrect, and then the headline destroys these important relationships he's trying to build. He then flew back to New York and then back to Israel. And afterwards, his team sent us some photos and a news release where he took pains to point out that his goal is to help any Jew looking to build their new home in Israel, unquote. In the past 20 years, some 6,000 Canadians have made Aliyah to Israel with the help of Nefesh Benefesh Agency, which is 10% of the total who immigrated through that group. Most come from the USA and Britain. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Seth Goldswig. He's vice principal at Leo Beck School in Toronto. He heard the episode we did last week about Steve and Eve Save the Planet, and he wrote in and he won the first free copy of the book. And one of his school's grade six classes is now doing a climate change project, and their hero is also a polar bear. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.